on pause with the Luke series. We'll probably come back to that next week, but today I'd like to preach to you from a very well-known story, and we're reading the end of it here with David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, verse number 48. I told you last week that I was given the gift of a, a full box of dad jokes. So did you hear about the mathematician who hated negatives? He would stop at nothing to avoid them. <laughs> who brought that? No, serious, stop it. I, I'm not doing that. Who did that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think that was better than the joke, right? <laughs> All right, 1 Samuel 17, verse 48. It says, It came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the, Phil- the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And before we pray, let me tell you what I'm preaching on today. We're going to talk for a few minutes about spiritual heroes. Spiritual heroes. So let's, let's pray together. If you would bow your head with me, let's talk to our Heavenly Father. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for the heroes that you've given us throughout the Word of God. We thank you for the greatest hero, our King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, our desire today is to learn something that will make us more like Him. So Father, please, I pray you would use me simply as a vessel. I pray you'd remove all the distractions of our life and of this week and help us to focus in on what you can teach us from this part of Scripture Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we read this story, I think hero is a a proper term. It would easily come to mind. The story of David and Goliath is one of those stories that is told again and again by people saved and unsaved. It is known universally throughout the world whether or not people believe the Bible. So I don't know if you use the word hero a lot or not, but truth be told, we all have heroes, don't we? We have people that we admire people that we look up to, to various levels. What we want to talk about today is is what is in the DNA of a hero? What is it about somebody that makes them heroic to you? When you look in the dictionary, there are various definitions for it, but one of it is a person who is admired for achievements or noble qualities. It can be someone who shows great courage. So we can see that in big and small ways all around us all the time. I have some in my life. I've told you about them on many occasions. I won't repeat all the stories now, but there's a Malawian pastor that I trained years ago named Elimon Zekidzeke, one of my heroes. You've heard me talk about missionary John Patton to the South Sea Islands, going up against the cannibals for years and then eventually won an entire island of people to Christ. Adoniram Judson, 
I don't know if you know his story, but it's worth learning. A young lady named Sisley Orms, who lived in the 1500s, was put to death in her early 20s because she would not stop talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The list could go on even today, and I hesitate to bring it up because I don't want it to, make, I don't want it to be awkward for anyone, but some of my heroes sit in this church week in and week out. And, and, and they're heroic in my opinion, I, and I understand it's a little subjective, but th- they show some noble qualities that I look up to. They inspire me on a continual basis. But the question must be asked, what exactly is it that makes a person heroic? I think we could do with perhaps fewer online influencers and more spiritual heroes. Amen. We have a generation that is growing up being influenced more by YouTube and less by real people. And when I say real people, I know those guys on YouTube are real, but but that's not real life all the time that's happening right there in your community. It's good to know of some stories from yesteryear of people that dealt with real problems. And how can we overcome them in a biblical, spiritual, and upright way? So what are we looking for in a hero? Is it physical prowess? Is it how fast a person can run or how high they can jump or how far they can throw something? Is a hero the person who kills the biggest guy, such as David, taking down a three meter tall giant? Do we think somebody is heroic simply because they win? We have a culture throughout the world now that worships sport heroes simply because they win. Is that what is required to be a true hero? I think it's, as I've mentioned, universally agreed upon that David is a heroic figure. I want to walk you through the story a little bit today and show you what is in the DNA of this hero. What makes him heroic? And before we just jump to the easy conclusion, well, he killed the giant. Well, yes, that's part of the story, but what led up to that? So take, take your Bible, come to chapter 17 and verse 12. We're going to look at what makes up a hero, and at the same time, I hope you learn something today about how you should choose your heroes. What kind of person, what kind of noble qualities should you be looking up to and aspiring to? Chapter 17, and I'm, instead of reading the whole chapter, I'm just going to read bits and pieces here and there to bring across these points. Verse number 12, 17 and 12. The Bible says, Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. Verse 14 says, and David was the youngest. And the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. Can we pause for a moment? You guys remember this part of the story? How Goliath keeps coming out and essentially is talking trash. He's mocking, he's disdaining, he's defying not only the Israelites, but more importantly, the God of the Israelites. In verse 17, And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren 
an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now, what I want to bring out in this part of the story, you may not look at this as a part of being a hero, but I think this is a noble quality. David exhibits great humility. Great humility. And if I can explain that even further, he's willing to do the unseen little things. He does not think that he is too big to do the little things. If you think about David's story up until now, we were introduced to David in chapter 16. Do you remember how he was anointed by Samuel the prophet? That's no small thing. That's a big deal to be anointed by the prophet. That means you are next in line for the throne. As God would have it, the doors opened so that Saul was troubled by an evil spirit. And now the opportunity is there for David to enter into the palace and play his harp for the king. So he's been anointed by the prophet, and now he stands daily in the presence of Saul, the king, playing his harp. You can see this hinted at, where was it? In verse number 15, David went and returned from Saul. He'd been in the king's court for several weeks, months even by this point. David could have gotten the big head and said, why should somebody like me, I've been anointed, I was chosen instead of my seven older brothers. I'm the one that's been calming down the king when no one else could. Why would you ask me to do such a small thing like carry a picnic lunch to some of my brothers who don't even like me on the battlefield? Why would you ask such a small thing of somebody like me? It's, it's the person that will be faithful in that which is least who you know they'll be faithful in that which is greatest. David, it didn't matter the size of the job. He just, listened to this part, he just wanted to help. And that, in my opinion, makes somebody heroic who will do it whether or not they're going to get recognized, whether or not anybody will applaud. They don't do it to be seen of men. They do it so that the light shines and other people, yes, might see you doing it, but the glory will go to God. And whether or not you get any recognition on this earth, you'll do it because it's right to do and it helps someone. David had a sense of humility, a modesty about him. As I thought about this point, one particular role of life kept coming to mind, and I'm sure many of you in this church can appreciate this, uh, uh, the mother of a newborn child. Because that newborn baby has no idea just how much effort is going into that newborn baby. Mom is there morning, noon, and night taking care of that child even when the child doesn't know how to say thank you and will never know how much time and effort went into that child. And, and mothers that will do this faithfully without complaining, modestly praying over that baby, just loving that child the way they're supposed to, I think that is heroic. It's not something you'll see in a YouTube feed. You won't find it in TikTok shorts. You, you, you'll find it, you'll find it in your home with a godly mother. And that's something to look up to. Now, I've spoken of mothers, and I think you're highly commendable for this, but let me switch to fathers for just a moment. As I've mentioned, John Patton, one of my heroes, great missionary of the past. He was born in Scotland. Before he went to the mission field, he 
went through training in Bible school there in, in London. But, but he talks much in his uh, autobiography about growing up in Scotland in a small little cottage. And, and if you will endure this just for a moment, this is a powerful passage out of his autobiography. I want to read it to you and hopefully inspire you to this level of heroism. He explains the place where he lived. He says, you know, it was a small cottage. One end of the house was for dad. One end of the house was for mom. And then he explains this spot in the middle. The closet, as he called it, the closet was a very small apartment betwixt the other two, the other sides of the house, the workshop and the kitchen. Having room only for a bed, a little table, and a chair with a diminutive window shedding light on the scene. This was the sanctuary of that cottage home. Thither daily and oftentimes a day, generally after each meal, we saw our father retire and shut to the door. And we children got to understand by a sort of spiritual instinct, for the thing was too sacred to be talked about, that prayers were being poured out there for us as of old by the high priest within the veil in the most holy place. We occasionally heard the pathetic echoes of a trembling voice pleading as if for life. And we learned to slip out and in past that door on tiptoe, not to disturb the holy colloquy. That's a, a closed meeting. The outside world might not know, but we knew. Whence came that happy light as of a newborn smile that always was dawning on my father's face. It was a reflection from the divine presence in the consciousness of which he lived. Never, never in temple or cathedral, on mountain or in glen, that's a valley, can I hope to feel that the Lord God is more near, more visibly walking and talking with men than under that humble cottage roof of thatch and oaken wattles. That's the framing. Though everything else in religion, now, now hone in on this, though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable catastrophe to be swept out of memory or blotted from my understanding, my soul would wander back to those early scenes and shut itself up once again in that sanctuary closet. And hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl back all doubt with the victorious appeal. He walked with God. Why may not I? This is John Patton towards the end of his life saying the reason I've walked with God and endured the temptations and persecutions of the heathen, the reason he slept all night in a coconut tree because the cannibals were trying to kill him and eat him, the reason he stayed all those years in the most difficult place to live, he said, I can remember back to the early days when my father inspired me with this heroic faithfulness to a quiet time where he would slip away, and we knew that he was praying for us. 
I'm saying, brother and sister, you may not make the headlines of any newspaper in this world, but you could make the headlines of heaven's newspaper. You can inspire somebody even in your home to go forward for God for the rest of their life simply by that humble example of being faithful to walking with God. David was a big cheese because he was willing, willing to carry the cheese. <laughs> we consider him a big cheese because he carried the little cheese. Verse number 18, he carried ten cheeses to people that didn't even know or appreciate him. His brothers thought very ill of him. But it didn't care the size of the job or what people thought of it. He simply wanted to help. This leads us to the next part of the story that I want to bring out. Let's look at verse number 23, and forgive me, I'm preaching this chronologically with the story. This, I think, is the main point of the sermon. Usually, I like to build up to that main idea, but this is kind of the heartbeat of the sermon, but it comes right in the middle of the passage, so we're going to tackle it now. There was a humility that I think is heroic, but also an understanding that David had. Let's look at this in verse 23. It says, And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. Great was the reward, wasn't it? To receive these things, great reward. But keep going, verse 26, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? What? You need a reward for that? There's, there's a job to be done. This guy is defying Israel. He's talking down about the God of heaven. And you're sitting around talking about the reward? You need a reward? Keep going. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Verse 28, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. He said, David, you youngin, you, you, you little... You little boy, you're just coming down because you want to see the bat. You want to see enter be entertained by the fighting. And now you're talking like you're a big shot. You're full of pride. Now we're going to circle back to this criticism in a moment. But for right now, let's focus in on verse 29. And David said, what have I now done? In other words, what is it about my life that would make you think I'm full of pride and coming down just to be entertained by a battle? That's, that's not me. What have I now done? And then this question, is there not a cause? So in response to why he is standing up and saying something, 
When everybody else is running from the giant, David is standing up saying, why isn't anybody doing something about this? And, and, and here's my second point that I find heroic. A good, noble quality to be admired in anyone. Somebody that understands the big picture. You have an understanding. You, you understand the purpose, the goal. Verse 29, the cause. Why should we fight this battle? Right? The Bible says fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. You'll find many people in this world that will wake up every day and put a lot of time and effort into a cause. But is it the right cause? Do they understand the big picture? David was not ignorant that there was a, a, a battle happening, right? He knew there was a battle going on. But when David got closer to the battle and saw exactly who was saying what to whom and how it was going down, David was taken aback and said, wait a minute, if God is like this and the Philistines like that, why aren't we stepping up to do something about this? If we have the right God and he's making fun of our God, I don't get it. The reason I think a lot of Christians don't take more action in their Christian life is because they have yet to see the big picture. They haven't laid hold on eternal life. And, and as Garrett reminded us this morning, eternal life is not a thing, it's a person. What's the reason that we're here? Why has God put us on this earth? It is to enjoy His fellowship. It is to glorify the God of heaven. It is to introduce people to God through Jesus Christ. We have a cause worth our time and efforts. If, you're, if your cause is nothing more than a good career and a happy family and good health, all of those things are commendable, but you will fall short in life. You will run out of petrol. You'll run out of motivation because those things can only take you so far. David understood the overall cause. Why is it that all the other men of Israel were running and David stood up? Because he knew the answer to the why question. What is the purpose? In this church, we keep you rather busy. We try to at least. I make no apologies for that. We try to keep you busy with missions, evangelism, discipleship. We got church services sprinkled throughout the week, prayer meetings, Bible school. We give you opportunities to give generously. We tell you to crucify your flesh on a daily basis, deny yourself and take up your cross. We encourage you to stand against the temptations of the world. And, and listen, that's the battle. We do expect you to take these actions, to take some initiative, to stand up and fight that good fight. And yes, you know this, there are rewards waiting for you on the other side, correct? There, there are incorruptible crowns that you can receive. You can receive an inheritance in the kingdom, rule over ten cities or five. But we're not doing it so that we can wear a crown. It's not the crown that we're fighting for. We're fighting for the one who offers the crown. The cause, the reason for all of this activity is not so that we can tell the rest of Pachastruam, look at how busy our church is. We're not concerned about how the church looks necessarily. We want Jesus Christ to be the focal point of all we do. Why? Because the Apostle Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. It, it pulls me. It gets me out of bed. It keeps me going. Listen now, not my love for Him. Because my love for Him goes all over the place. 
His love for me. The love of Christ constrains us. And brethren, that never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's your stability. There's your sustainability. How can we keep going the rest of our lives? We, we understand the cause. The cause is the Lord Jesus Christ and anything we can do to become more like Him and help other people to become more like Him. Quickly, just let your eyes run down the passage. Look at verse 36. I want you to see that David got a hold of this. David is talking to Saul. He says, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. He says, Saul, don't worry. I'll take on this big old boy because I'm doing it for God. Come on down to verse 45. It says, Then David, then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beast of the earth. Watch it. Look at the cause at the end of the verse. Look at this. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He had a cause. And the cause was bigger than himself. It was more than just him being his version of successful. He wanted the whole world for the rest of time to know that the real God was the God of Israel. If your cause is self, and perhaps you want to be known for taking down some massive giant in life, whether that's some great lofty goal of a good career, making a lot of money, you fill in the blank. If that is the reason you're going to do it, to be well known, you are fighting a losing battle. And let me explain what I mean by that. Because if you win, you lose. Let's say you achieve all of those secular temporary goals. They are just going to puff you up. Because the end goal was what? To be seen of men. Look, I did it. I worked hard. I had self-discipline. I put a lot of time. I did it. Kaikir. Desek. You lose. <laughs> That's not the cause. Jesus made it abundantly clear. You don't do these things to be seen of men. You do it even if need be in secret, but the Father which sees in secret will reward you openly. If the cause is self, it is impossible to win because even if you win, you still lose. Your winning will ruin you. There are some people that fall into the trap of turning midgets into giants. It's a small problem you have, but you make out as if it's a big problem. You know why? When you overcome it, you want everybody to think that you've overcome a giant. You just fought a midget. That wasn't Goliath. That was just gold. <laughs> it was the smaller version. But you, you made a mountain out of that molehill, so in your head, hey, look at what I did. You're both arsonist and firefighter. You create the problems so that you can fix the problems so that you can feel good about yourself. You're missing the cause. David said there's a cause. Which leads me to my next point. In verse number 31, 
We've already read about Eliab and his criticism, but let's take a look at verse 31. It says here, And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. Do you hear the courage in this? Do you hear the courage? In the face of fear, David said, Don't worry, Saul. We got this. We, we got this. Verse number 33. Is that where we're at? Verse number 33, and Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. How do you like that for encouragement? Hey, pastor, don't worry. We got this. There's a whole bunch of lost people out there. We'll go, we'll go evangelize. Don't you? We got this. Ah, no, 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 you can't. I'm sorry, you just can't do it. Why? Well, you, this and this. Now, now I understand Saul's concern, young, old, experienced, non-experienced, but, but Saul, you don't know David. You don't know his history. At least get to know him. Don't assume that he's unable before you actually know that. A lot of times we are held back by our assumptions, either of ourselves or of others. So my third point is this, and, and I'm going to develop it a little bit more just now. David was steadfast in his commitment. Now let me explain further. He was able to overcome discouragement coming from multiple places. He was able to overcome discouragement from multiple places. And as we read in 1 Samuel 30, when David hit a real low point in his life, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Because I believe it's true for a lot of folks and probably a lot of you in this room today. You would be happy to do what's necessary to serve the Lord. But where it really gets difficult is when the brethren don't have very nice things to say about it. And, and it's not that they don't, realize, they don't see it, they do. And when they see it, rather than encourage, they criticize. you got to have some thick skin. That's part of the DNA of a hero. They do what's right even when there is no earthly encouragement. You have to encourage yourself in the Lord. David was discouraged by his brother. He was discouraged by his king. And then, if you come on down a little later in the passage, verse 40, 41, when the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. He had rosy cheeks, kind of reddish skin. He'd been out in the sun a lot. He was well tanned. Goliath, here's three meters tall, and David, this little runt of a guy. And Goliath looks down on him, and the word disdain means he, he laughed at him. He mocked him. <laughs> Pipsqueak. <laughs> runt. How in the world? Did, you really think Israel, you thought he was going to? Come on, come on. And just laughing at David, if you are going to do something meaningful for Christ, just get used to being the underdog. Get comfortable with it. You've all heard this saying before. I'll just remind you of it now. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. David certainly was the smaller dog in the fight. But boy, he had more fight in him than Goliath. And it didn't matter what anybody said, when you know that you have the right cause. And that's why I say it's the heartbeat of this sermon. When you know you have the right cause, 
then I don't care what other people are going to say. They're going to have their opinions and it might hurt my feelings, but it's not about my feelings. It's about doing what's necessary. That's part of being a hero. There's not one person that got something meaningful done that didn't have somebody criticizing them while they did it. You just got to get it done. Isn't this true of the Apostle Paul? After he got saved for three years, he was in Damascus witnessing to people, winning Jew after Jew to Christ. And then he travels down to Jerusalem. That's, the, that's where the church started. You remember that he wasn't welcomed there. He got there and all he heard, there was just whispering going on. I don't think he's real. I think this is just another tactic. He's spying on us. He's going to take us prisoner. Ah, we can't trust him. And here's Paul saying, guys, what, what more can I show you? I, I, I don't know what else I can say. You know what Saul did? He just kept right on preaching the gospel. Because that's what heroes do. Okay, maybe some brethren are going to doubt and maybe they're not going to get on board with how you're doing it, but you just get it done. Later on in Paul's life, they send him out as a missionary. He gets to preaching in one place. He has some converts. Things are going good. Goes to another. Converts, going good. He gets to a place called Lystra. And it actually goes well. But then some of the Jews that didn't like his preaching in those other cities caught up with him in Lystra. They started spreading rumors about Paul in Lystra and it turned the entire mindset of the people of Lystra against Paul. They took stones and killed him, dragged him out of the city, left him there dead. You know what Paul did? He got up, the brethren helped him up, he dusted himself off, he got a little rest, the next day went out, he went back to those cities where he started, preached the gospel, uh, and, and confirmed the disciples there, went back to Lystra where they had just thrown stones at him. And the Bible says right there, he confirmed the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. He said, guys, this is going to happen. Paul literally needed thick skin because <laughs> people are going to throw stones. That's part of being a hero. Those are the people you want to look up to. The ones, not the ones that know how to dodge every stone, the one that, get hits, that gets hit and says, well, that's part of life. And we got to keep going. Back in the day, this is, I, I've just recently heard this story. Many of you know the name Martin Luther King. All right. His actual name, did you know this, is Michael Luther King, but they changed it to Martin Luther King just for the history books. But Martin Luther King one day was on stage during a rally, and a man came up and started beating him, beating him, beating him, and got him onto the ground, was just beating him. And finally, security came and pulled this guy off and... Because, I mean, this crowd is for Martin Luther King. They thought, let's take this guy outside and either kill him or let's take him and, and prosecute him, arrest him. You know what Martin Luther King did? He got up at the podium and he said, he said, it's all fine. Let him be. Forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. And he went right on with his speech, blood coming down his face. You see, even though some people are going to give you a good knock, you just keep right on going because you've got a cause that's worth fighting for. David had a cause, and it helped him to be steadfast. Lastly, I want to show you this in verses 38 and 39. Verses 38 and 39. It says here, And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. Now, that's not like envelopes and paper, you understand. It's chain mail. That's what that is. 
Verse 39, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he assayed to go. That's old English for he tried to go, for he had not proved it. So he wasn't able to go out and fight with this sword. He wasn't able to move about with this armor and this chain mail because he had never tested it. He had never tried it out. It says in verse 39, and David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them, and David put them off him. So here's my last point about being a hero. Yes, yes, part of the story is killing Goliath. I know that. But not all of us are going to have a Goliath that we take down in life. I'm giving you today things that all of you can do. You can be humble and do the little things. You can recognize the cause and stand for that. You can be steadfast and thick-skinned and just press on even when people don't like you. And this last one I know you can do. Be yourself. Just be yourself. You know what David said? Saul, this is your armor, and it might work for you, but it's not going to work for me. I haven't. Now, later in life, David would put on armor. He would use a sword. Later in life, he learned how to do that. But up until this point in his life, you know what he knew how to do? Sling and stones. So you know what he did? He put down the coat of mail. He put down the sword and the armor. He said, let me get something that fits me, something that I know how to do, and I believe God will bless that. You don't need to repeat the exact movements of that hero to be a hero. You need to do the best you can with what God has given you. Use the gifts that God has given you. That's heroic. You don't have to pretend to be someone else. How many of you know the story of Amasa? How many of you remember this biblical character, Amasa? He he doesn't get much time in the Bible. There's a reason why, as you'll now hear. Amasa was a distant relative to David. And as David was run out of the kingdom by Absalom, Absalom, of course, was killed by Joab, and now David is coming back. And as David is coming back, he's upset with Joab. Joab was the general of David's army. So David replaced Joab with, a, with his distant cousin named Amasa, or Amasa. And he says, all right, Amasa, this other guy, Sheba, a Benjamite, he's standing up and he's going to split the nation. So we need to go and deal with that. So Amasa, I want you to gather some men and in three days meet in this place and we're going to go out to battle. You know what the Bible says? That Amasa was late. He didn't show up to work on time. So I'd throw that in there. A little bit extra for the sermon today, man. He had, a, he had a schedule and he didn't keep it. He showed up late. That is not a cultural problem. That is a discipline problem. Amen. All right, you can just smile or you can say amen and agree with me out loud so everybody else knows that that's right, but it's right. So Amasa was late. And as he's late... This means that some of the other guys had to gather the troops. So Abiathar, that's Joab's brother, he gets the men together. And David says, listen, Abiathar, we can't wait for Amasa to get his act together. If we don't get Sheba now, things are going to get really bad. So here Abiathar says, all right, men, line up here on the fire line and march. And, and out they go to battle. And here comes Amasa. You can read it in 2 Samuel chapter 20. Amasa comes running out there. He's wearing Joab's armor. And Joab's garment. And, and you know what a sheath is? That's what you put the sword in. He has Joab's sheath on. 
And the sword that Joab used was much bigger, evidently, than what Amasa was used to. Because here comes Amasa running out going, oh, wait for me, wait for me, here I am, here I am. And he's running and things are clanking all over him because the armor doesn't fit. And when he gets to the head of the line, thump, the sword falls out. I mean, how embarrassing, here's our general. <laughs> the leader of the armies of Israel, clank, 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 wait for me, clank, 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 plop. That is the exact opposite of a hero. Why? He's trying to be Joab. He's trying to put on Joab's clothes and use Joab's sword. You're not Joab. Amasa, you're Amasa. But he thought, well, let me try to be Joab. You know what Joab said? Joab was out there. Even though he had been demoted, he was still fighting for the, for the right side. Joab said, uh, <laughs> which is a classic line, he said, Amasa, Art thou in health, my brother? <laughs> Are you sick? <laughs> Do you have a temperature? What's, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Coming out here looking like that, you're a mess. And Joab, no doubt, could recognize his clothes, his armor on Amasa. He said, Are you, are you sick or something? What's wrong with you? And, and this was a common custom in, in that part of the world at this time. God help us if we tried it today. This is weird. But you would grab the guy's beard and then bow down on one knee. And that was a way of showing honor to that man. To grab him by the like I said, please don't try that. If anybody has a beard in here today, let's not, let's not adopt that. But Joab went up to Amasa, grabbed him by the beard with his right hand, and pulled him in as if he was going to kiss him, to just as a greeting. But Amasa wasn't paying attention to the dagger, to the sword, in Joab's other hand. And as he pulled him in, stuck him under the fifth rib and killed him. And there Amasa laid, wallowing in the ground. Eventually they had to put something over him because he was distracting all the other soldiers. They were so unimpressed and uninspired by Amasa trying to be something he wasn't. Just be yourself. David, if all you know how to do is throw a few stones from a sling, grab your sling, get the best stones you can out of the stream, and head off to the battle. Use what you got. You say, but isn't it helpful to have the armor and the sword? You'll get that in time. David eventually did. But for now, you be you. What is your sling? What are your stones that might be helpful to someone else? Now, I've asked a few people this week. I found it an interesting experiment. How does this story end? What's the ending of the story of David and Goliath? You say, well, the end is David throws a stone, hits him in the forehead, and he kills him. That's not the end of the story. You know that, right? We read it today. He cuts his head off. That's not the end of the story either. Now, now technically speaking, I mean, chronologically, if you read the chapter, David eventually walks into Saul's presence holding the head of Goliath. Now, I'm sorry, that's just a manly thing to do. <laughs> Walking around with that trophy in hand going, hey, look what I won today. I mean, that's just, okay. As a man, I go, ho, ho, ho. That's a King Kong moment right there. But, but I want to show you something that no one was able to mention about this story. Everybody I asked, none of them mentioned this part. Verse 52, and we close with this. Chapter 17, verse 52. David has cut off the head of the, of the Philistine, and verse 52 says, And the men of Israel and of Judah arose 
and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley, to the gates of Ekron, and the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sharim, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. You know what easily gets overlooked about this? David's actions inspired the entire army to get up and do something. Just one humble, steadfast, dedicated young man using what he had access to, what he knew. God blessed it. The rest of the nation saw it and said, To the battle! That's a hero. Somebody that can inspire and motivate others to get involved. That's a heroic action. Courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. Might I remind you that cowardice is also contagious. So you decide today if you want to be the Amasa that causes people to stop and go, oh my soul, what kind of mess is that? Or the David, who despite whatever the world would consider to be limitations, says there's a cause and it's worth fighting for. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Have the pianist come. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's just take a moment to think about what we've heard. Isn't it often true, folks, that we know something needs to be done? We're just waiting on somebody else to break the ice. We want them to start. And if somebody else will start, we'll jump on board. Last week we talked about Jonathan. Jonathan didn't go out to fight Goliath. I don't know why. I don't know why he didn't get into this battle. But you can't stand around waiting for Jonathan and waiting for David. Sometimes you need to be Jonathan. Sometimes you need to be David. If it's right, do it. Whatever that right thing is. What is it that the Lord has had on your heart? What is it? What, what's that battlefield that's been neglected, but the time has come that you rise up and take some action? And here's the wonderful thing. Nobody needs to see you do it. Just do it. If they see it, great. If they don't, okay. Just do it for the Lord. just a moment I'm going to pray and close the service before I do can I just ask that if you're, if you're here today and you're not saved there is a cause that, that there's a reason that God brought you to this service this morning and I know it might take some courage to admit it but if you'll admit I, I have never been born again I want the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my heart, save my soul, change me. I need that. If you'll admit that this morning and receive Him as your Savior, you will leave this building today born again. If you'd like help with that, 
please feel free to come and find me or if I'm not available, somebody will help you to understand exactly how you can be saved. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we thank you for the great example we have in David, how courage, or courageous he was. But Lord, not just killing that giant in even some smaller ways, help us to aspire to that. Lord, please send us home today motivated by the love of Christ. Lord, help us to rise up despite whatever discouragements lay ahead. Help us not to get weary in well-doing, but to push past it and fight the good fight. Lord, we love you. Dismiss us, please, with your blessing. Bring us back tonight ready to learn and worship you even more. And we ask it in Jesus' name.